reminder today. Philippians chapter 4 in your Bible. And this will be the last time uh, for a while that we will say turn to the book of Philippians. Been a five-month journey. Uh, stopping, we've been here six months. Started with Philippians. Took a one month off in December and preached on Isaiah 9-6, the elements of a wonderful counselor, mighty God, a prince of peace, and we did all of that. And now we're coming to the conclusion of this, of this book. I preached uh, in Irmo, South Carolina, in a church that I pastored down there for 10 years. I preached on the book of Acts. A little boy, Danny Griffin, he... Uh, just a little fella, just uh, probably three or four years old. And, um, and when he'd come into the church, when I would greet him in the four years he came in, he would say, preacher, preach acts. Preacher, preach acts. And for a year and a half, I did. I mean, boy, the boy was just half grown by the time I finished <laughs> that book. But uh, preached on the book of Acts. But the book of Philippians has been a joy. And matter of fact, that's what the theme is. Joy and rejoicing. If you'll look with me at Philippians chapter 4, that will not be our text, but I want to show you uh, this is the theme of this book of Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So joy and rejoicing is the theme. We're going to look at the last four verses of the book. Uh, chapter 4, verse 20 says, now unto God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen is mentioned twice in these four verses. Salute or greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute or greet you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it was given to us. It's proper for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And I pray today that you, by your spirit, would take your word, make us more like Jesus. I pray that he would be the one lifted up today. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I've entitled the message, Glory, Greeting, and grace. Glory, greeting, and grace. And I guess if we'd have gone last week, we could have called it gifts, glory, greeting, and grace. As we finish up this book on rejoicing, Paul is in prison. He's in Rome. He's writing to this church some 10 years after the church was founded. He was there in Acts chapter 16 when Lydia got saved on a riverbank. Also, Paul and Silas in the prison. Uh, when uh, they, the jailer heard them singing praise to God at midnight and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They gave him opportunity, said, Look, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house, not household salvation. Each person must receive Christ as Savior. The Philippian jailer did, went back and told his family about it. They got saved. And then uh, Paul and Silas were invited to their house. And uh, what, a, what a blessing that was in the beginning of this church at Philippi. We've looked through uh, several, every verse, but we've looked through several themes. Chapter 1 and verse 27 was the verse that 
Pastor Diedrich preached on on his final Sunday here, uh, a little over six months ago. It says, only let your conversation or your manner of living be as it becometh the gospel of Christ or is fitting or suitable for the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, whether I'm here or I'm not here, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. That was an excellent text to preach on on his last Sunday. And we have come back and preached on that as well in that same theme of standing fast united because of where the church is now. Without a pastor, we're praying that God will continue to give the church unity and that we will stand fast standing on the word of God and the promises of God. Chapter 2 and verse 2, we preached on this. This was one of the passages that I had asked Pastor Marshall Fant, Dr. Marshall Fant, to speak on when Lynn and I got married almost 11 years ago, Philippians 2, uh, 2 through 5. It says, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, and of one mind. And that's what we're praying for for the church here at Crossroads as well. Chapter 2, verse 14. He says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Preacher, you're going to meddling now. Uh, do all things without murmurings and disputings. And we preached about that subject of what the Bible says about complaining and uh, preaching to myself as well. And uh, that night, the temperature was cold in here and people were leaving and saying, look, preacher, I ain't complaining about it tonight. I ain't going to complain about it tonight. It says, do all things without murmuring and disputing. Notice it says in verse 15 of chapter 2, that ye be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. That's where we live today among whom ye shine as lights in the world, like Matthew 5, 16, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ and that I not run in vain and neither labor in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy, there's that word again, I joy and rejoice, there's a, there it is again, joy and rejoicing with you all, for the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Chapter 3 and verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Over and over again, those, those of you that are teachers know that there are three laws of teaching. Repetition, repetition, and repetition. And the Apostle Paul is showing us over and over again that we are to joy or rejoice, not in our circumstances, but in him. Rejoice in the Lord. Then uh, chapter 3 and verse 13 says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I haven't arrived spiritually. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth of those things which are before, I press for the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We preached on pressing for the mark and not living in the past. 
I've pastored now a little over 40 years. I can't tell you the number of times that I would preach on a passage or talk to people uh, about we're not in at 1985 anymore. We're not, we're not, the, what the church is not going to be exactly like it was back in 1985. And if, and if that dead preacher would come back, our church would change. If he comes back, I'm changing too, buddy. <laughs> He's up there where he needs to be in heaven. Uh, the, Brother Ray Stewart started the church where I was in Whiteville, North Carolina. He pastored down here in, in Bowling Springs, Gateway Baptist Church. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that church. Brother Ray Stewart pastored there for many years, but he was the church that, he was the pastor that founded the church over there. And uh, when I came as the pastor there, uh, the church at that time was uh, almost 30 years old. And uh, on that Sunday that I came, I was installed as the pastor. I felt like I was a computer program. You know, I got installed. And I got installed as a, as a pastor, and we put Brother Ray Stewart on the phone from Gateway Baptist Church in Boiling Springs, and we had him to give the opening prayer of that dedication service. And uh, it was a joy. He's passed away. He's in heaven now. But I can't tell you the number of times that people wanted to live back there. And uh, we need to press forward. And in this church, we need to press forward to what God has for us in the days ahead. And then uh, verse 17 He says in chapter 3, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. Example or example. We talked about how our lives, people are watching. People are watching. People are watching too how our church responds to not having a pastor. There, There are people out there watching to see how our church responds whether we're responding biblically or not. And then chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Be careful for nothing, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, we preached on that several times in this book, the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep literally means to guard, it's a military term, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And that's our prayer is that God would keep us with the peace of God in the midst of what we're going through, even as a church family. We preached the last couple of Sundays on contentment that Paul said, he said, I have learned, notice verse 11 of chapter 4, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He said, I can do all things through Christ, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And then we spoke about sacrificial giving last week. And that part that has in in our contentment and learning to be content is when we give sacrificially to the Lord's work. And then he said in in that He compared it to Old Testament sacrifices in Leviticus. Uh, He said that uh, that offering was an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. And then he said, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's not something we just pull out of context. It's not something you just put on a T-shirt or on a coffee mug. 
It's talking about that if you will practice sacrificial giving, God will meet your needs. <laughs> he might not meet our greeds, but he'll meet our needs. And when he ended that statement with, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, he then gives a doxology. Verse 20 is a doxology. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Doxologies is actually a translation of two words in Greek. Doxa, which means glory, and logos, which is word. So a word of glory. And here we're, here's a word of glory, glorifying the God, the God of heaven. We sang songs about that even today. Glory to his name. Because here we find, first of all, glory. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Isaiah 43 verse 7 says that you and I were created for God's glory. The very reason that God created us was to bring glory to himself. The saints of God, by the way, the word saints, which is used here in verse 21 and again in verse 22. So in this text, he's talking about the saints of God. Saints is not some elevated position that the Catholic Church puts somebody up to. It has nothing to do with a papal decree. Saints, the word means separated ones are holy ones, and it refers to every Christian, every one of us. And in position, we are all saints of God, and he wants us to be saints of God in practice in our holy living as well. But he now says the saints of God greet you, and he's, ref he's referring to them. Before, If you look back with me at chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul and Timotheus, or Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints. Here's who he's addressing the letter to. To all the Christians in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops, that's the pastors, and the deacons. And so here we've got two, the two offices of a local church mentioned in this verse. The, two, the only two offices given to a local church, a pastor and deacons. He's addressing them as he writes the letter and he's talking about the saints of God. By the way, saints are never to be worshipped. Saints are never to be worshipped. You and I, as the saints of God, are to worship the God of heaven. That's the reason that we're here. Matter of fact, it's the only thing that the Lord ever seeks from man. In John chapter 4, it says that he seeks those that would worship him. He's seeking worshipers. And we're going to worship something. We ought to attribute worth to the only thing that is worthy, and that's our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one to be worshipped. I hear a lot of people talk about worship. One day we'll probably preach about worship here. But did you know that worship is not something that we do just at 11 o'clock on Sunday? All through our lives, our lives ought to be a life of worship to the Lord. And our time here of worship, and I sometimes people say, well, we, we had our worship music and then the preacher got up to preach. 
That's as far away from what the Bible teaches as we can get. Our whole service is about worship and especially when we get to the word of God together. But did you know your worship today will have a lot to do with how much word and truth you've been putting into your life during the week before you get here on Sunday morning? If you've been working at worship before you get here, this is going to be a grand time of worship together. For the saints themselves are never to be worshipped, but the saints of God are here to worship, to give glory to God. My wife Linda, her favorite verse verses are found in Ephesians chapter 3, and that's just the book before us, the one in Philippians. If you'll turn there with me. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, another doxology. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all the ages, world without end. Amen. We're here to give glory, and here he ends this book with a section on glory. He talks about unto God. God, the God of heaven, the God of the Bible. This is the one that receives the worship and the glory. And he says, our Father. The Lord Jesus referred many times in the New Testament to his Father. But it says, our Father. I like it because he's a personal God. He's our Father. We start the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer with that. Not that we're to pray those same words over and over again. He gave us a pattern to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven. He said, now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Ephesians chapter 3 was from ages to ages, forever and ever. Not only does he give, speak of glory and a doxology, but then he speaks of greetings. Notice there in chapter 4, verses 21 and 22, he says, salute or greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. He used the same word there. All the saints salute you. So he's saluting and greeting, same idea. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. So he speaks about greeting. First glory and then greeting. As I look at this text, I've already preached on on Sunday nights on the one another's of Scripture. We took several Sunday nights and talked about loving one another, encouraging one another, and we even talked about greeting one another. It speaks in the New Testament about greeting one another with a holy kiss. Now, Bernie got sick, and he had to leave, and he'll be back tonight, hopefully, with us. And I said in that service that if Bernie comes up and kisses me, kisses me I'm going to knock his block off. <laughs> it's not that kind of greeting today. I mean, a, a holy handshake, and, and you do such a great job at Crossroads and greeting people, and greeting one another. Greeting one another uh, with a holy handshake and a holy hug, 
and uh, a very appropriate hug. I, I, this is a hug in this church I've been in a long time. There are some churches that they're real stiff and reserved, you know. They, they wouldn't know what to do about hugging each other. I came from a hugging family. Some of you, I can tell whether you did or whether you didn't come from a hugging family. My, my mama, if she met you for the first time, she died in 2004, but if, if she met you for the first time, she was going to give you a hug. She might give you a piece of pie too, but she's going to give you a hug. Um, I tell people that my mama loved to hug so much that she would go into the department store and hug mannequins just to stay in practice. But can I tell you what this word salute or the word greet that's used in these two verses means? It's not just howdy or glad to see you. There are some churches, I'm glad what we do here, we do a a fellowship song and we greet one another. There are certain churches that have done away with that in their church and it wasn't just because of COVID. Some of them have done away with it, and I've read arguments on it. I'm glad we do it. And as long as I'm here, we're going to keep doing it here, and the next pastor will decide what he's wanting to do, but we're going to keep doing it here. But some people don't do it because it can become artificial. It can be something where I'm forced to say howdy to you. Where in the fellowship hall or Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, or or Saturday, uh, you might not speak to somebody in the Walmart, but you'll, you, you're forced to do it because you've got a fellowship song going and we're supposed to doing it. So some, people, some churches have gone away with it because they felt like it was forced uh, friendliness. I like it here at Crossroads. I like it here. And t- today, because of it being about glory, we sing songs about that, I wanted to sing The Family of God, which was a song that the church here sang for a long time as their fellowship song because we're talking about greeting and uh, then we're saying Amazing Grace because we're talking at the end of the message on grace. What does it mean to uh, salute one another? It means more than I'm just shaking your hand or I'm glad to see you today. I got a text from... Dale Cunningham, some of you know him. He speaks sometimes at the wilds with his wife, uh, Denise. They are our, my, some of my closest friends in the ministry and have been for a long time. When I retired May 21st in Whiteville, Dale and Denise Cunningham uh, came to, to be with us. There were 10 preachers there. One of them was uh, Dale Cunningham. He said, texted me this morning, and he said, I was at the wilds men's retreat this weekend. Here's what God taught me during that time. I'm cheering you on as you, pray, as you preach today. And I want you to know I love you, brother. Now, what I text him back was because of what we have been studying. I had been studying during the week on this subject of greeting. I said true Christian friends are connected by a divine love bond. We love one another. It's not just that we shook hands on Sunday. It was we love one another. Secondly, true Christian friendship and this kind of saluting and this greeting, this term in the scriptures refers to I'm not just interested in talking to you today. 
I'm interested in your spiritual well-being. How are you doing spiritually? And when we salute one another, there's, and the greeting, as I looked at it, I, I, I realized when he said that, he says it from several different groups. First, he says in verse 21, salute every saint. He didn't say all the saints. He said every. And when he used the word every, he's talking about individuals. Did you know that in the church, we ought not to pick our favorites? We ought to be concerned with every individual. In our handshaking time, I'm just going to, I mean, I'll just get all right on the soapbox if you want me to. Uh, and it won't charge you any extra for it today. I won't charge you any extra for it today. One of the things we need to do is we need to make sure that people who don't get out of their seat are still taken care of as well as the ones who do get out of their seat. The ones that are maybe not prone to friendliness as well as the ones who are prone to friendliness. We are concerned, he says, every saint. So what he's saying is you are in a love bond with other Christians and these other Christians who who love you are sending greetings to the church at Philippi, but these people are concerned about your spiritual growth and you ought to be concerned about theirs as well because that's what real Christian friendship is all about. Salute every saint, every Christian in Christ Jesus. By the way, that's the only way we can be called saints or Christians is through the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Then he says in verse 21, the brethren which are with me greet you. Now, those that are here with Paul are those that are, are, can come in and out of that house arrest he's involved with. The Christians that are here with me uh, also, he says, greet you. He means, I say again, more than a howdy. Let me tell you who's there with him, possibly. There's, there's a list of, of those Epaphroditus, he's mentioned in chapter 4 and verse 18. He's the one that's transporting the letter. He brought the gift. He just brought that gift from the church at Philippi. Epaphroditus did. Timothy is probably there. And Timothy, uh, he's addressing Timothy in chapter 1 and verse 1. But I like especially what he says in Philippians chapter 2 about Timothy. And we've already preached about this several months ago. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus, or Timothy, shortly unto you, that they also may be of good comfort when I know of your state. And again, what he's saying is, I want to know how you are doing as individuals spiritually. I'm going to send Timothy over to find out. But verse 20 this is a hallelujah verse. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state or how you're doing your spiritual welfare. That man, Timothy, he's not only coming over to say howdy to you, he wants to know how you're doing spiritually. How's your time in the word? Your time in prayer? How about this Christian fellowship that you enjoy on Sundays and Wednesdays and other times during the week? Meeting with some of the people from the church 
Maybe somebody different this week than you met with last week. We're getting together because we want to encourage each other spiritually. I'm not only concerned about their spiritual growth, but I want them, when they love me, to be concerned about my spiritual growth as well. So Timothy, he was there. Others who possibly were there. Tychicus, he was the one who delivered the letter uh, to the church at Ephesus, Colossae, and the the church, the, the letter of Philemon. Aristarchus maybe was there. Some of these are mentioned in Colossians chapter 4 and, uh, and in the end of uh, Philemon. So Onesimus, that's the runaway slave that Paul had opportunity to lead to Christ and was now sending back to his master Philemon. Uh, he was possibly there when he said, those that are with me greet you. Then, uh, by the way, the ones that he's saying are the brethren that are with me. None of them have a collar on backwards. Can I tell you that? None of them have a collar on backwards. These are Christians who love other Christians, who care about each other, who are growing in Jesus Christ, concerned about other people's spiritual growth, and want them to be concerned about their spiritual growth. There's a lot wrapped up in that word salute one another or to greet one another. And he says, I want you to know that I want you to salute for us every saint in Christ Jesus. I want you to salute the ones there in Philippi, but I also want you to let you know that the ones that are here with me, the brethren which are here with me, they greet you or salute you as well. And then he says, all the saints salute you. Every Christian I know, they're they're talking about this church at Philippi, just had brought a gift. He said, I didn't get any gifts from anybody else, but I got one from you. And they, they greet you as well. But they're not only saying howdy. They're saying we love other Christians and we're concerned for their spiritual growth. And then he says this, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. Caesar's household is 800 miles from Philippi to Rome. Now, Philippi is a Roman colony. The people in Philippi, 800 miles from Rome, are Roman citizens. And so they are ruled now by the Romans. And it says those that are in Caesar's household, some of those folks greet you. That means that some of those people have trusted Jesus Christ. And we say if they're in high government, they can't be saved. Some of those people did get saved. Some of those people in Caesar's household, he's not just talking about his family. There's servants and accountants and couriers and there's uh, cooks and there's all kinds of people. Just a lot of different uh, things that that they could be involved in that household. That some of those people, they're sending love and greetings and concern about you spiritually as you are about them. But can I tell you that chapter 1 Verse 12 and 13 says, 
chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. I got in prison, but some people are getting saved. Look at verse 13. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all places, in all the palace, and in all other places. In other words, in Caesar's household, there are people that know about me being in, in prison, and now he can have some people come back and forth, and he, some of them have heard the gospel and been saved. Let me tell you who else could be a part of Caesar's household. They chained a, a, a guard to Paul on a rotating shift. You talking about a captive audience. How'd you like to be chained to the Apostle Paul for about 12 hours in a day? What you think you're going to hear about? The weather? Sports teams? Oh, you're going to hear about Jesus. How Jesus can save you. And a number of people, there's a song, No Longer Chained. A fellow Rodney Griffith wrote about being chained to the Apostle Paul. And a fellow who just in his own life, he had all kinds of difficulties and problems and all the things and addictions and things he had in his own life. And he, he goes back home and he tells his wife, he said, I'm no longer chained. I might have another shift tomorrow with the Apostle Paul, but I'm no longer chained. I've trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And the Apostle Paul led me to Christ. So those that are of Caesar's household, here's a big bunch of folks now. Those that are already saved as Christians in Rome, some of them are listed in Colossians. And then these new Christians that have come to Christ, including the ones that maybe his guards that were chained to him, they're going to send greetings as well. And then he finishes off the chapter with verse 23, and he says this, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And the second amen in the four verses, verse 20 and verse 23, amen. So let it be. Amen. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Back in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 2, he starts the, the letter as he did often. Most of the letters start and end very similar. He said, Colossians 1, our, our Philippians 1, 2, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that this book begins with grace and it ends with grace? My life, I don't know when it will end, but that song, Amazing Grace, should be our theme song for every one of us because we are, every one of us have a story. Every one of us have a past. Every one of us have been rescued from our sin if we know Christ is Savior. And all we can say, it's all because of God's amazing grace. It starts with grace. It ends with grace. Dr. Dan Olinger, uh, one of my friends, I met him on a, he came on a karate team to St. Matthew's when I was a civil engineer I've known him for a long, long time. That's 1976, before some of y'all were born. 
Dr. Dan Olinger said that grace reminds him of the syrup that he pours on his pancakes in the morning. And my great-grandchildren, they had to have pancakes, by the way, that Grandpa fixed this week. We had, said we dribble on the syrup. But when we get to go to IHOP, we pour on the syrup. And when we run out of it, they bring us some more. And the grace of God is like that. Our life, we might be dribbling along with grace, but just when we need it. In the most difficult times of life, he pours it on. I call it truckloads of grace. Begins with grace and ends with grace. God's unmerited favor. He gives us something we don't deserve. And he does something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. It's the gasoline. The grace of God is the gasoline that empowers us to do what God has asked us to do. And I wrote down here, thank God I'm saved by grace. I'm kept by grace. I'm strengthened by grace. I'm guided by grace. I'm sanctified by grace. I'm enabled by grace. And that enablement, it says, from Christ himself. Over 40 times in the book of Philippians, he refers to God or Jesus Christ. He begins this book, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. No wonder Paul could say in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. His whole life was wrapped up in Christ. It's through Christ that you and I, he's the source of our joy. He's the one who deserves the glory, only one deserving of glory. And he's the author of the grace that he enables us to live the Christian life with. So he gives us at the end of this book, he gives us glory, a doxology. He tells us all about reading and then he ends it with grace. Grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. This book, four little chapters we've looked at in five months, but it gives us great joy to know that our Savior is real. He lives and how he wants us to operate as a church and a church family. May God help us to be comforted by the truths of the book of Philippians. And may we carry it through the next few months and weeks and years should the Lord tarry here at Crossroads. If you're here without Christ, come to know him today. It's through him. He's the source of eternal life. If today you know Christ as your Savior, are you giving him glory? Is your worship just about what happens at 11 o'clock on Sunday or have you been worshiping and preparing for this worship all through the week by filling your life with truth from, from his word? Or today, have you learned something about how we're supposed to take care of each individual? It's not just a howdy. It's I love you 
and I'm interested in your spiritual growth and I want you to do the same for me. And all of that, the whole package is wrapped up in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow for prayer now. Father, we need you. Lord, we need you today. Over 40 times Christ is referred to or God is referred to in these four little chapters we've looked at over five months. Paul has shown us a tremendous example, not a perfect man, but a man who had not apprehended but was pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, who said for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That we can do all things through him who strengthens us through Christ and that he, if we are sacrificial in our giving, he will meet all of our needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Father, I pray, thanking you for this church, thanking for the privilege that we have to be a part of it for these months in the interim time. And I pray that, Lord, the truths of this book will be lived out in our lives by your grace. And we'll thank you in 